Man, you all were singing that like you believed it. And uh, like the Lord is the great I am. I am certainly grateful uh, that he is. And I'm grateful uh, to have this opportunity to worship uh, together here with you all this morning. And uh, what a great week uh, God has given us. Uh, Thank you for all the men who served and served so well last week with our men's conference. We hope you all enjoyed Dr. Prince uh, in the morning. We hope that you enjoyed him through the afternoon as well as the guys that led our other breakout sessions, our home guys um, that led that. God gave us a great day, a great day in the Lord and then just a great week all week long. And uh, we hope to do uh, something like that again next year. And so we hope that you will be praying for that and praying that uh, our men that God will just do a great work in our hearts and in our lives and draw us to himself and that we might uh, lead our families appropriately and just continue to honor the Lord. If you didn't get to come, I think uh, for sure uh, Dr. Prince's message will be online. I'm confident of that. And you can probably get the breakout material that we covered from Nick if you uh, want to do that. I know some of you all were traveling. A couple of you guys were intending to come and said, I'm sick. And uh, I, is everyone well today? Is the, is the flu bug over? Can we, can we say that? It, it's not over. Uh, I have good news and bad news. I'm glad you're here. And uh, it may be bad news. Y'all are all going back to school tomorrow, right? Uh, Barron County's going, Glasgow's going, and Glasgow Christian's going, unless it comes uh, snow unexpectedly in the morning. But I think it's 60 degrees uh, today. Super Bowl Sunday. Um, the older I get, I, if you know me, I love sports. I mean, I grew up in a sports family. My older brothers played. Uh, I played. Um, I've, I've raised boys who've played, who, who love competition. And so we love just about any kind of sport, but especially the big American three. I'm not, I'm not big on soccer, but give me baseball, football, and basketball, all three created here in the States. And I... I just absolutely love sports. But can I tell you, the older I get, the idea of Super Bowl Sunday, the actual Super Bowl, it just loses its appeal because Jesus is just getting greater and greater and sweeter and sweeter. Preacher, will you watch it this evening? I will. I, I, any Patriot fans, I, I want to see Tom Brady win one more time and then retire. Now, if he wins and still plays, I'm not going to pull for him next year, right? But if he can win one more and retire, I'm all for that. But can I tell you, every Sunday that you're alive, God allows you to gather together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and we can worship him every single Sunday is a super Sunday. If you believe that, say amen. How many of you all know the initials AOC? Not AOL. But AOC, if, if you know AOC, the initials, raise your hand. AOC, some, some know. If I say the name Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, how many of you know who I'm speaking of? Raise your hand. Uh, new, young uh, House representative who's serving us uh, as a Congresswoman now, and uh, she represents, if I'm not mistaken, a district in New York. And she is uh, come to Washington. And along with Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris and Bernie Sanders, these are just some of the latest of a long line of politicians who off and on down through the years are calling for a redistribution 
They're calling for a redistribution of wealth in America. Uh, some are so bold to just spell it out. What that means is tax the wealthiest people in America and give the proceeds to the lower and middle classes through tax relief, free health care, and free college. It's a tremendous way, if you ask me, as just a guy who's nonpartisan, and, and you'll hear that in a minute. Uh, I know you probably think I'm picking on one group right now, but you'll hear it in a minute. Um, it seems like a tremendous way to me to promise something in hopes that you could get elected by a middle class or a poverty uh, demographic and certainly by young people who would love to go to college for free. How many of you, when you were uh, in high school and you especially was a senior, you would have loved to have gone to college for free? How many of you would have loved to have done that, right? And so there's this huge promise, and here's what they're going to do. They're going to tax the wealthy, redistribute that, and give it through tax-free free health care and free college. When I took a sociology class my sophomore year at UK, I am 100% positive that Dr. Brooks, who had written our textbook that we were reading and studying from, he said that a redistribution of wealth through taxes and government provided programs, through government-provided programs like centralized health care. This was in 1984. 1984. He said that government-provided programs like centralized health care was socialism masquerading as compassionate capitalism. Uh, my brothers and sisters, when people start talking about taking money from one group and giving it to the other, and those people not freely giving them, freely giving that, uh, that is socialism, right? It is not capitalism in any form. But on the other hand, uh, philanthropy has become an important initiative for some of the richest people in the world. Warren Buffett and Bill Gates uh, launched the Giving Pledge in 2010. And since that time, in 2010, um, billions of dollars have been given to underprivileged nations, uh, to scholarship for college education, for inner city uh, secondary education like high school, and for health care. Others who have donated billions of dollars include people like Michael Dell, and Jeff Bezos, and Lauren Jobs, and Mark Zuckerberg, just to name a few. I mean, these people have all committed to join in with Buffett and Gates in uh, giving away uh, the lion's share of their wealth. Uh, Bill Gates, a matter of fact, um, his estimated worth right now is around $81 billion. In the past, since, since 2010, he's given away $36 billion, $36 billion dollars he's given away. He's led a huge initiative in Africa to rid the entire continent of Africa from AIDS. And so he's pouring money. He and his wife are pouring money into that. And you hear a lot about philanthropy today. For those of us who are not multi-billionaires and millionaires, we hear about it a little bit more on sites like GoFundMe and uh, different opportunities to give to different things. I can no one station, if you turn it on, every other commercial is an opportunity uh, to give to a group that's suffering in Europe or to give to uh, PETA and these animals who are out in the cold or to give to wounded warriors and veterans. And if you say, Preacher, are you against all of that giving? Absolutely not. I'm for giving. I'm for generosity. I believe that it's really important for us to understand what the Bible says about generosity. 
And so for the next few Sundays, we want to look at what the Bible says about wealth, what the Bible says about poverty, about sharing, and about generosity. So if you're here today and you say, wait a minute, is he going to be preaching on tithing and getting on us to tithe for the next uh, four weeks? I'm not. We're going to be dealing with the issue of generosity, poverty, wealth, and what it means to share and the biblical perspective. What is our role as followers of Christ? And I think it um, it is vitally important, I want you to hear this, that our pulpits are not silent on the issue of wealth. Because when the pulpits are silent, who's going to represent the biblical worldview of stewardship and giving if our pulpits are quiet and our churches are quiet? Who's going to represent that? Who's going to represent what God says to be true about wealth and poverty, about sharing, about giving, about generosity, about uh, people who are poor? What, What and who's going to represent that? And so when God called me to preach, one of the questions that I answered at my ordination council from a uh, preacher who was about 78 years old, he looked at me and he said, Randy, and of course I was nervous, scared to death. I was about 24 years old. And uh, back then it was truly interrogation. There was no affirmation. It was just interrogation, right? That's what they called it. And he looked at me and he said, Do you promise before all of these men and your church family in just a little while that you're going to preach the whole counsel of God? And I said, I am. I will preach the whole counsel of God. God's called me to preach this book. And so I want to invite you to take a copy of God's Word and find with me 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And that's what we're going to work through for the next few weeks. Chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. And while you're turning there... I want to give you a a theme verse or a thesis of where we're going with this, right? This means this is sort of like the hinge hinge pin verse on which this whole subject of generosity turns. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then Jesus poses this tremendous question. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? This question that Jesus asks is the hinge pin of what the Bible says about generosity and wealth and giving and and poverty. That as believers, generosity should never be separated from the gospel. And so that's sort of the premise and the starting point. When you start talking about wealth, and when you start talking about poverty, when you start talking about generosity and sharing and giving, when you start talking about receiving and labor and work and gaining materials, that whole subject should never be addressed apart from the gospel. Generosity should always be spoken of in light of the gospel's teaching about stewardship and how Christ gave himself for us. Why is that? Because what does it gain a man to gain the whole world? What does it profit him to gain the whole world, but at the end of his life, he loses his life because of the greatest treasure that he could possibly know and have and receive 
he does not receive, and that being the person of Jesus Christ. A biblical understanding of wealth and poverty and generosity and materialism and sharing is crucial if we are to be found as faithful stewards of the life that God has given us and he's created us to have and to serve him through. Man, I want to be faithful in this area. I have a gift of giving, and so some of my past mistakes when I was a young man in the 80s and in the 90s, they haunt me a little bit. I love to give, and I love to give cheerfully and hysterically. I, I love to give in a lot of different ways, and I love to give of my time. I love to be able to uh, write checks or talk with Tracy and say, do you think we should give in this area? I've been feeling led to. What do you think about that? And, and we talk about it. We pray together. And she says, I feel like that too. And then we're able to do that. We're able to give. I want to be the best giver in the church, not so that somebody would say, man, pastor's the best giver in the church, but God's given me a spiritual gift of giving. I have uh, two sons who have that spiritual gift of giving. And just by the way, on a side note, if you're here and you're a parent of teenagers and they have, they've been born again, and you've not given them a spiritual gift yet so that you know how God's making them, so you can come alongside of God and shape them in the area that God's gifted them. Moms and dads, you need to get that inventory from me today and go home this week and say, hey, we want you to take this and let's see how it is that God's creating you and making you. And it's wonderful to see how God's creating kids to do that. I am blessed that um, Levi, uh, there are times that he will just... Uh, he will call, normally he'll text and say, I got something to talk to you about. And so he's either got a big ask, meaning I want to go do this or I, I want to go do that. Or he's got a big confession. I've done something. Here's what I've done. Uh, but a lot of times he will call or text and he'll say something like this. I had a real neat opportunity I want to tell you about. And I'll say, what, what, I'll call him, what, where was it, Levi? was at Walmart, and there was a homeless guy outside of the Walmart here in Jackson. And I want you to know that I bought him a tent, and I bought him some water, and I bought him some groceries, and I'm saying, great, great, great. Well, Dad, I spent 200 bucks. Are you all right with that? I said, son, that's your money that God's given you. It's really his money, and if you want to do that. And then he said this, well, I put the guy in my car, and I gave him a ride somewhere. Are you all right with that? Because I've always taught my guys, don't be picking up hitchhikers, right? Don't, don't pick up hitchhikers. And so to see this, this gift of giving working out in him is a tremendous, tremendous blessing. And so I want us to read verses 8, I mean verses 1 through 6 of chapter 8 together. And then if you want to during the week, fast forward and read through chapter 8 and chapter 9. I promise it's going to give you a tremendous, tremendous blessing. And if you're here... And uh, you're in one of two situations. You're not a believer or you're not a member of our church. I want you to understand that God first wants your whole heart, right? He, he just wants your whole heart. And you'll, we'll see this toward the end of today's message. Giving is a gift in response to grace. And giving is something, a, a, a discipline, a spiritual gift, a, a spiritual discipline that God leads us in as believers who have covenanted together uh, to follow him. And so if you're here and you've never come to faith in Christ, I please don't hear me like I'm, I'm trying to sell you a hanky, right? And I, I prayed over this hanky and I'm, I'm trying to pawn this off. Uh, preach our offerings down. No, a matter of fact, the, the month of January was extremely good. Offerings were really good. We, we don't give or teach on giving or, 
or on generosity or on any of that when things are good or when things are bad. We do it as God leads us to do that. And so let's read these first six verses together. And I want us to think about generosity. And particularly, I want us to think about an example of gospel generosity. Listen to what Paul said to those believers at Corinth. He said, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. It's really a pivotal part of this passage. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. What is the context of this? Well, you can see it partially in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 when Paul had instructed Titus to uh, go to the Corinthians and to tell them about the plight of the Jerusalem church and the need that was going on there in Jerusalem. And so the Corinthians had made a commitment, we're going to set aside money every week, and then we're going to bring it as we gather together on the Lord's day, and then we're going to, uh, when uh, Paul comes to us again, we're going to send some guys from our Corinthian church with Paul back to Jerusalem, and we're going to be able to be a part of this giving, and we're going to bless the church that was in Jerusalem. That's sort of the context, and what had happened was, the people in Corinth, because of prolonged visit by Paul, meaning he wasn't able to come when they were expecting him to come, they had begun to slack off in their setting aside of what they had pledged or what they had wanted to do to relieve those believers who were struggling because of persecution in Jerusalem. And so what it happens is, um, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, I want to give you an example of generosity and I want to use the northern region of Greece, right? That, so when you start talking about Macedonia, where was Macedonia? It was the northern region of Greece. There were three primary cities that Paul has in mind when he's writing here. One of the cities is Philippi. One of the cities is Thessalonica. The other city or church, the church of Philippi, the church at Thessalonica, and the church at Berea. So when Paul's writing uh, this letter and he's talking to the Corinthians about, I want to share with you an example about how God is blessing these churches in the Macedonian region. He's speaking of those believers at Thessalonica, Philippi, and Berea. And so what he does is this. He uses these Macedonian believers to remind us that gospel generosity is, first of all, a demonstration of God's grace. I hope that you will write it down. It's a demonstration of God's grace. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. 
What is he talking about here? He's saying that gospel generosity is a result and a demonstration of the grace of God at work in us. And it's a demonstration of the grace of, a grace of God working through us. See, what had happened was simply this. He was saying that uh, those believers in Macedonia had never lost sight of God's grace to them. There are two words uh, in verse 1, the word grace. You should underline it. The word is charos there. It's where we get our word uh, charismatic from, right? Charismata. And, and it means a gift. It means a gift of grace. And then in verse 4, in our ESV, it's translated favor. Uh, it may be uh, translated in your translation as privilege, right? In verse 4. But it's the same word, charos, that's being used. What, what does that word mean? And what is Paul uh, doing when he's saying to those Corinthian believers, we want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that these churches in Macedonia were afflicted. They were not abounding in wealth or resources or riches like the Corinthians were. Uh, Corinth was a seaport town. It was a very commercial town. It was a large city. There was a lot of wealth flowing in and out of Corinth. Corinth was a very pagan place. The church in Corinth wrestled with um, a lot of fleshly ideas. They wrestled with a lot of um, incestual ideas, with sexual immorality. Um, and so Corinth, though, was just overflowing with, with wealth. And here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, these churches in Macedonia, those believers in Philippi, Berea, and Thessalonica, they were under a severe test of affliction. And notice what he says about them. He says, yet their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty... So they're afflicted, they're in extreme poverty, but yet they have an abundance of joy. And he says that has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Can I teach you something here? It's not on the screen, but I hope that you will write it down. If you are a Christian that allows circumstances to dictate your joy, your joy is not rooted in Jesus. Did you hear what I said? If you are allowing your circumstances to dictate your joy, your joy, happiness, contentment is not grounded in Jesus, but it's grounded in your circumstances. Because when we are rooted and grounded, properly connected, properly in fellowship with Jesus, come what may, Jesus is Lord of our life. If you believe that, say amen. And so with Jesus, we know that all things are possible. And so here's what he's saying. In verse 1, when he uses that word, that word charos there for grace, he's saying that grace displays God's attitude of uninvited favor towards us while we were sinners. The Macedonian believers were able to have abundant joy because they had not lost sight of they were born again. They were born again. Man, when I remind myself that the greatest treasure that I possess and have ever been given is not Tracy, not Caleb, Levi, Jacob, or Kerr, not a dog, not a house, not a church family, not a vehicle, but when I'm reminded that the greatest treasure 
that I possess is Christ, the hope of glory dwelling in me, it revolutionizes the way I look at all the other circumstances in my life. If it changes the way you look at your circumstances, say amen. I mean, it just absolutely does. Somebody says, well, preacher, you know, you can have, you can be so down on your luck that Jesus just doesn't seem as sweet. I don't know about you, but the more down I get on my luck when things are really bad, it seems like the sweeter and sweeter Jesus becomes. He reminds me of how temporal things are that we put our hope and faith and trust in and how eternal and how significant he really is. And so these Macedonian believers had never lost sight that Jesus was the greatest treasure they have. Do you believe that this morning, church? Do you believe your wife or your husband's your greatest treasure? Is it that hunting dog, that coon dog you got? Huh? I got a, I got a dog. I love this dog, right? Wrigley. And, uh, and that dog, he's going to die one of these days. I mean, he's getting crippled up and he's just not doing well. I love that dog. He comes, gets in my lap. He doesn't, I, I, don't, I can talk to him. And you know what he, he never does? He never asks me for anything except food or water. And most of the time, Jacob or Kurt is getting the food or the water. And so I love this dog, but he's nowhere near this greatest treasure. Is your greatest treasure your kids? I got news for you. Your kids are about to grow up. And your kids may grow up to be the people that you hope they would be, and they may not, right? Is your greatest treasure your job and your identification and your vocation? Is that... Is that your greatest joy? Don't lose sight that the greatest treasure you have, and the, the greatest joy you can possibly have, comes in Christ and Christ alone. If you believe that, say hallelujah. But he says something else here. When he uses the word favor in verse 4, this word charis, he's meaning that it's God's unearned mercy working within us. Not only God's grace displayed to us, uninvited, God's unmerited favor, but he's talking about that it's unearned mercy that's at work in us. What Paul is saying to the Christians at Corinth is, God's grace toward you and at work in you will stir up and create charismata, which means spiritual gifts, which include generous giving. If you're here today and you just struggle with that whole idea of wealth, maybe you have a hard job, maybe you feel like you were raised on the wrong side of the tracks, and you think, man, everybody who's privileged always seems to have more. They seem to inherit more. They've had all the breaks in life. And you just have a negative view of money. Maybe you've worked really hard for what you got. And you say, I've done that. It's mine. I just want to remind every one of us today in this place, everything we have, including the air we breathe, belongs to Jesus. It all belongs to Jesus. We came into this world with nothing. And when we leave this world, we're leaving this world with nothing except Christ. If you believe it, say hallelujah. Y'all got to encourage the pastor somewhere in this tough preaching. I'm just telling you. So here's what he is saying. It stirs up charismata. So you don't have to turn there for the sake of time, but charismata. Here it is, Romans 12. And I'm going to be reading verses 3 through 8. Paul said to the church at Rome, For by, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and, and the members do not all have the same function. 
So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If you have a gift of prophecy in proportion to your faith, prophesy. If it's service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes or the one who gives in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What are you saying, Pastor? What I'm saying is Paul was piggybacking what he was stating uh, or what he would state to the church at Rome in chapter 12 when he wrote that letter. This act of God's grace at work in us reminds us that he's our greatest treasure. And then he starts working through us, which stirs up this charismata, which means that we have this ability to be able to give in a tremendously generous way. And we have the right view of stewardship that God owns everything. He's created us and he just wants to use us as this conduit. And so I want to encourage you today. Here's some application. If you're here today and your husband and wife or your children, (laughs) children in the right context, say to you, I think you're sort of stingy mom or dad. I think you're stingy wife. I think you're stingy husband. I think you talk a lot about what's yours and and what what we own or what you own. I, I really encourage you to pray that God would grant you a spiritual gift of giving. A spiritual gift of giving. It will revolutionize the way you look at life and how God allows you to have this abundant joy. And so, first of all, gospel generosity is a demonstration of God's grace. But here's the second thing. Gospel generosity delights in sharing no matter its circumstances. Here's how gospel generosity differs from just philanthropy or just giving to the Red Cross or just giving in some other way. Gospel generosity delights in sharing no matter its or one's circumstances. Now, remember, he's given them an example about these Macedonian believers. So here's what he's saying to those uh, believers at Corinth. He said, those Macedonians, they gave according to their means, verse 3, as I can testify, but beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly, begging us earnestly for the favor the privilege of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now watch this, because before we talk about them giving according to their means and then giving beyond their means, you can't miss what they're doing there. These Macedonian believers are giving, and as they're giving, Paul's recognizing their own poverty. He's recognizing their own um, their own. Um, tough place and tough position that they're in. He's looking at their lives and he realized, you know what, they're in this place of what he calls affliction. So recognizing their affliction and recognizing their poverty, Paul is saying to those Macedonians at some time or another, we understand a situation and listen to what Paul said. These people in their affliction and poverty were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part and the relief of the saints. I can remember um, getting on um, getting on an airplane to go to Malaysia, and I was my first leg was out of Chicago. Uh, we went Nashville to Chicago, and then Chicago to Singapore. 
And I can remember sitting in the middle of a huge, I think it was a 747. There was five seats across in the middle. I was right in the middle. So I had two people this way and I had two people this way. I looked to my right, the two people were Korean. I looked to my left, the two people to my left were Korean. I was the, the lone guy right in the middle of all these Koreans. And so I'm sitting there next to a guy and say, where are you going? And he said, well, I'm going back to Korea. And I said, so you're hopping off at uh, Tokyo. And he said, yeah, I'm going to hop off at Tokyo. And I said, well, uh, my name's Randy. Uh, I'm a gospel minister. Tell me who you are. What, what do you do? And this little Korean man, he just smiled real big. And he leaned forward. He said, all of us have been in Chicago. We've been sharing the gospel with all them lost people in Chicago. He said... There's a, there's a church plant that our church in Korea is sponsoring. He said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Malaysia. What are you doing? I'm going to encourage our missionaries and hopefully tell some people there about Jesus. He smiled real big. Man, we fellowship so, so long and so, so good. One of the things that I was just blown away with and overwhelmed. He said, we in the church in Korea pray for the church in America. Because you do not know what you have been given. And we have less, but we feel like we have much, much more. That is the heart of the Philippians and the Thessalonians and the Bereans. They didn't have, but man, they begged to be a part of gospel work. They wanted to make sure that the, their brothers and sisters in another area were encouraged and that they were blessed. I, I'm running out of time. Luke 21, 1 through 4 is this story of the widow's might, right? And, and here's how Jesus speaks of this parable. He says, Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box and he saw a poor widow put in two small coppers and he copper coins and he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them for they, are, they all contributed out of their abundance but she out of her poverty put in all that she had. She only had two mites which was a small amount and that sense she gave according to her ability but since she gave all that she had because she could have kept at least one mite, but she gave all that she had. She gave beyond her ability. This principle of giving was evident in the Macedonian church. Listen to what R. Kent Hughes says. He says, The example of Macedonians is practical proof that true generosity, true biblical generosity, is not the prerogative of those who enjoy an adequacy of means. The most genuine liberality is frequently displayed by those who have least to give. Christian giving is estimated in terms not of quantity, but of sacrifice. Listen to this, church. Listen to what Kent Hughes was saying. Listen to what uh, the widow's might is saying. Listen to what Paul is saying by using this Macedonian church as an example to the Corinthians. Every one of us have the ability to give. Every one of us have the ability to be generous. Every one of us have the ability to tie our giving to the gospel that the name of Jesus would be exalted, that the name of Jesus would be celebrated, and that lost sinners would come to faith in Christ. It doesn't matter if we're poor or if we're middle income or if we're wealthy. 
all of us can be abounding in this joy of generosity. Preacher, I don't like to give. Well, you need to give until you love it. Maybe you shouldn't write a check to the church. Maybe you shouldn't write a check to some uh, charitable organization. Maybe you should, if you like to cook ribs and you're a good rib cooker, maybe you should make a rack of ribs and take them to some neighbor somewhere or some struggling family. Maybe it is if you're a great pie baker, you should bake a pie and take them to a neighbor or a friend or a co-worker somewhere and say, you know what, I just want to be a blessing to you. Can I? Will you please receive this? God has so worked in my heart. God has so worked in my heart that I just want to give and I just want to share with you. I'm going to tell you when that heart of generosity starts to explode and open up in you, you're going to say, wait a minute. There's this part of Christianity that I've yet to experience that I really need to experience. I want to say to you, my brothers and sisters, everyone can give and it begins by being generous with our own life. Listen to verse 5 and 6. And notice this last thing and we'll close. Gospel generosity is devoted first and foremost to Jesus. Not to the need. Not first and foremost uh, to the desire to give or the giftedness of giving. But gospel generosity is devoted first and foremost to Jesus. Paul said in this that they were begging to be able to give and participate. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Now here's what Titus was reporting, and you're going to see it by the time we get down to chapter 9. Here's what Titus was reporting to Paul. The believers here in Corinth, Paul, are losing their spiritual edge. They're beginning to be selfish. They're beginning to look inward. Calvary, by the grace of God, may he keep us from looking inward. May we look at the needs of others and other churches and, and other believers and other towns and areas. May we look at others inside our own community who are lost and maybe they're being given a lot of things. Maybe the government's given them a lot of things, but I'm telling you what the government is not giving them. They're not giving them the gospel. Let's make sure that we give ourselves first and foremost to the Lord. Stand to your feet and listen as verse 5 and 6 as we just work our way through it. Paul says they gave themselves first to the Lord. These Macedonian believers... How could they do that? How could they do what they were doing? Why would God lead Paul to use them in his example to motivate the Corinthians? Because they weren't looking at their circumstances and their circumstances were not good. They were looking at Jesus. They had been born again. They were keeping their eyes on the prize that was set before them. And you know what was going on? God was at work in their hearts and lives. They gave themselves first to the Lord. If you're here today and you've never given yourself to Christ, I want to encourage you to do that. You say, how do I do that, Pastor Randy? If you affirm that you believe that you're a sinner and that Jesus died on the cross for sinners, that he lived a sinless life so therefore he could be your substitute, and you believe on the third day that God raised him from the dead, if you believe that, you can be born again today. 
by turning from your sins and asking Christ to be the Lord of your life. If you've never first given yourself to the Lord, I want to encourage you to do that. You can do it right there in your seat. You can do it on a car drive on the way home. Maybe pull off on the side of the road somewhere and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin. You can do it right here at this altar area during invitation time. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you and have the privilege of listening as Jesus comes into your heart and forgives you of your sin. Some of you here are born again. But in recent days, weeks, months, you've been trying to retake some of that surrendered ground that you gave to the Lord. When you were burdened and heavy laden, when the weight and guilt and shame of your sin was so prevalent upon your life, and you've moved a little past that. And so maybe you're here as a believer and you would say, you know what, I need to fresh and new surrender my life to Christ. Give yourself to Christ. Then secondly, they gave themselves to one another. So first to Jesus, then they gave themselves to the uh, Jerusalem believers gave themselves to Paul, gave themselves to Titus. They gave themselves, secondly, to one another. And then they gave themselves to generous sharing. Oh, my brothers and sisters, this whole subject of generosity. It's an indicator, and we're going to see this next week. It's an indicator of a heart, of a heart where our heart is. When we were working with FCA and leading that and starting it in Medcalf County and um, having coming over here speaking at Glasgow, speaking at Barron County, when those things did not exist and they were first getting ramped up, I had a lot of opportunities to share. I was young and people wanted to hear about this young guy that had been born again. I love sports and so I could talk to these uh, players and cheerleaders and folks that were a part of Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I... I really want you to, to hear uh, what I'm about to say. It is really, really important that you and I understand that when God calls us to himself, he wants all of us and not just part of us, right? I'm so overwhelmed this week Interacting with Paul Chitwood, saying, how's it going? And Paul Chitwood saying, Brother Randy, there is a number of college students that are heading overseas this summer and that are surrendering their lives to the mission field like, we've, like the, the International Mission Board has yet to see. I'm rejoicing with that. And I'm saying to them, what, what, how can we come alongside? What do you need most? And he said, man, we just need people to faithfully give so that we can help scholarship those that need help so we can get them where God's calling them to go. I'm telling you that God is at work in his kingdom. And he wants to be at work in your heart and your life. This morning, surrender your life fresh and new. To the Lord. Jesus, you have been so generous, unbelievably generous to us. Grace upon grace have we received. 
Not one of our sins, not some of our sins, but all of our sins for all time. Have you forgotten, you've removed, you've cleansed us from them? Lord, thank you for sharing your life with us. God, thank you for giving us a gift of grace whereby we can grow and understand what it means to keep you and to remember your grace that you've shared with us that, God, we might grow in this gift of grace and just being generous and understanding your economy and not ours, your economy and not America's, your economy and not the world's. And God, that every time we think about giving and we think about being generous, that Lord, we see how in your word it is inseparably tied to the gospel. And so Lord, I pray that you would work in amazing ways in our hearts and our lives. God, would you call our faith family for any of us in this room that are having a temptation to turn inward and say, this is what we need at the cost of forgetting our brothers and sisters around the world and out in our community and even the lost world. God, I pray that you would lift up our eyes to the hills from which cometh our help, knowing that our help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. That, God, you never sleep and you never slumber, and you are at work carrying out your plan. And, God, I'm thankful your plan involves saving sinners and glorifying your name. So, God, we pray for our churches. Lord, I pray for Coral Hill today. Lord, as we go and, and speak there on Wednesday night, God, I pray for Ray and I pray for Jordan. God, I pray for Randy. God, I pray for all of those folks that are in leadership trying to decide their next step and what they're going to do. God, I pray that you would use us to encourage them and to challenge them. And Lord, you would allow this passage just to, to unfold before their very eyes and work. God, we pray not only for our sister churches like Cool Hill, but God, we pray for the lost of our community. God, we pray for those who are poverty-stricken, those who are being raised with one parent, maybe no parents. God, those who um, indeed are under a severe affliction and trial. God, I pray that you would allow us to share the gospel so that there could be a redeemed view of labor and work. And God, that you could use us to minister to them and encourage them. And God, I pray for those in our community who sometimes are slighted because, God, you've blessed them. You've given them a gift of giving. and They've been giving and sharing. And you've blessed them with materials. And the poor in our community look down their noses at them. God, I pray for them that you would encourage them and that, God, you would bless them, Lord, that you would continue to work in them. God, thank you for being faithful to us. Lord, I pray you would lead us to surrender our lives fresh and new to you. As we lift our voices to the Lord and we sing this song, thank you. If you need to come and pray, I want to encourage you to do that. But let's sing as a redeemed of the Lord. Let's do that.